106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. devil is a lie. The devil is a lie. Now, first of all, how y'all gonna eat? Who about to feed 7,000 people and on whose dime? Because you're not about to eat on my dime. Not a, not a enchilada, not a taco bowl, not a chalupa, not even a teaspoon of sour cream. Not on my dime. And where y'all gonna live, huh? With Maxine Waters, with uh, Nancy Pelosi? Because I can guarantee you, they will not let you in their neighborhood hell. Maxine Waters don't even take care of the people in her district. And hold up. Y'all looking like y'all having too much fun jumping up and down, screaming and acting a fool. Y'all acting like y'all about to go to the circus. And y'all supposed to be running from trouble? Bull crap. And this close to midterms too? Bull crap. This was set up. Prove me wrong. This is Lou Benninger, and you're listening to No Hostages Radio. And um, this is our 11th podcast. We're new at this. And this is uh, going up on the Internet on June 13th. So if you're new to us, welcome. People are still finding us. Each week we're picking up some new folks. Um, We started out, as I mentioned before, on AM FM radio in Northern California. We're up here in what we hope to eventually be the state of Jefferson. And in mid-June, although there's still snow in the Sierra Nevada, it is hot right now. I think yesterday it was over 100 degrees. So usually Northern Californians, when it gets over 100, uh, people get a little irritable driving their cars and just around town. And if you'll notice, <clears throat> your PG&E bill uh, out here in California, Northern California, that's Pacific Gas and Electric. They've had the PG, they've had the utility monopoly here for many years. And when I was growing up in Northern California, they were one of the most well-liked corporations. But over the last, say, 40 years, uh, they are not one of the most well-liked corporations. But a lot, there's been a lot of factors. Of course, as you change leadership in anything from a family to a church to a business to a, uh, to a government, things go up and down according to the quality of leadership. But other things played into it as well. The fraud of global warming and the distaste amongst the liberals who have been running the state of California for 50 years, 
the distaste for fossil fuels uh, and saying that they're going to poison us all and cause us all to uh, end up in disaster has led to the promotion of green energy, whether it's cost efficient or not. So they, the government has forced Pacific Gas and Electric to pay unreasonable prices for things like energy coming from bird blenders or uh, windmills type things, or from solar, or even from uh, bio uh, energy like biomass energy, chips, burning them or whatever they do with them to get energy out of them. The, the problem is all these things cost much, much more money than hydropower, nuclear power, or fossil fuel power. And so we have an artificial high utility rate here. Some feel it's an, if you compare it to the national average, it's 60% higher than the national average. So you're paying a luxury to live in a utopia that is just full of baloney. In fact, I just saw, I think, in a, some form of media yesterday that in about 20 or 30 years, the Democrats, the liberals in the state of California are planning to outlaw or forbid any uh, drawing of oil out of the ground, fossil fuel, gas, gas, natural gas or oil, I presume both. They do not want to pull any out of the uh, California. Now, that's an interesting deal. What that means is if they're going to still allow uh, cars to drive that use gasoline, that uh, means that we'll have to import oil when we when we actually have more oil in the, under the state of California than probably any other state in the union, including Texas and North Dakota. But when you live in a socialist government, uh, it's it's kind of like the socialists are the pope. The pope's always right to the Catholics. That's the voice of God to the Catholics. So in a socialist government, it doesn't matter whether people are dying in the streets, being poisoned by feces in the streets, uh, starving. The, the shelves have become empty when once they were overflowing. It's interesting. I was thinking before the show today about what I was going to start talking about. And Pacific Gas and Electric has announced that now, anytime there is winds in the state of California, they are going to shut off the power to houses. So if a limb falls across a power line, it won't catch, it won't catch fire. It's interesting that we've had utilities here. I've, I've lived in Northern California my entire life. I have never... We've had very high winds, incredible storms. I have never seen that happen in my entire life, voluntarily shutting down the power grid. What has changed? The only thing that has changed is liberals run this state, and they've run it into the ground. What I mean by that, it's very practical. You can look at practical examples of running something into the ground. Our forefathers in California managed the forests. What does that mean? That means that they cut out dead wood. They cut out brush. And so they, they, they clear, cleared underneath these large trees and let them grow. And so if a fire did break out, 
then it would burn along the, the, the ground, but it would not catch up and become an inferno, uh, uh, sort of like an Armageddon-type fire. So we've always had forests in California from before people immigrated here. That would have been what we consider the indigenous people or the, if you want to use the term, American Indian. But before that, there were forests. What happened? They would become overgrown, 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 and then finally lightning would strike and the forest would burn completely down. Man brought sanity to the whole situation. I mean, what I mean by European men, where they managed the forest to keep them from burning to the ground. It's fascinating. I got a card in the mail, even though I live right in the center of Marysville, where there are no forest fires. But they told me to clear out around my house 30 feet a certain way, and then another 70 feet, so clear out at least 100 feet. I can almost reach over and touch the wall of the person on each side of me, so it's kind of stupid. But they sent me a card anyway to tell me how to protect against forest fire. It's interesting that in the county of Yuba, where I reside, in a city, but out in the country, they mandate that you clear out your house. In other words, no brush, uh, and you, you water around 30 feet out, and then farther than that out, you clear it out even better. Uh, and so if a fire did get started, they wouldn't have any fuel to burn. Because a big tree, it takes a lot to catch a big tree on fire unless it gets a lot of kindling or underbrush underneath that's fired up. So what's happened is that now, because the, the environmentalists have the liberals by the short hairs, they will not allow them to clean out the forests and keep them maintained. So therefore, we're just going to have a complete disaster, and now we operate like a third-world country. When I used to do work in Tijuana, we were building an or orphanage in the Otay Mesa side of Tijuana. That's the eastern side. Power would just go off during the day for, I don't know, I don't know what the reason was. It would just go off. The water would go off. Then it would come back on. Phones would go off. Then they'd come back on. It was just, that was just third-world nation. We are returning to third-world nation. And third world nations in Asia now are far surpassed America at its, at its zenith. So we had, uh, I was thinking, when is the last time that we had brownouts? Or maybe the only time we ever had what we call brownout. Do you remember a governor named Gray Davis? Gray Davis was a Democrat, and uh, he, they so screwed up the power grid and how they supplied power to the state of California, that we actually ran out of power. It's amazing. One of the most wealthy states in, in the United States, we actually end up in a situation where we run completely out of power. We can't get enough power into the states to take care of things. Now, if we get some high winds and you have a business in those areas where there's high winds, that means you have to send all your people home and shut your business down. It's just the most idiotic, insane, mentally ill bunch of people I've ever heard of. It's the craziest nonsense I've ever heard of. I have a, uh, one article here today. I don't know whether I'll get to it, but it talked about one of the fires in Northern California here a couple of years ago. And 
the interesting thing about it is that the reason it destroyed so much is because of all the reasons I just gave you, and I won't repeat them. But the headline on the article was that fire started by a hammer. In other words, a person was hammering in his, on his property, and he hit a piece of metal, and it, it cast a spark, and so that caused the fire. That's such an idiotic logic because no hammer creates a holocaust of fire. What caused that was bad management, bad forest management, or no forest management. That's what it's talking about. So, while I get back to, let me make a few more introductory remarks. Uh, so, you, I don't know how you connected with us today. Uh, there is a website, nohostagesradio.com, that... If you don't know about that, uh, that you can go to there, go there to listen to these broadcasts. And uh, there's also a couple articles a week there that I write for the Territorial Dispatch. And if you ever want to just go to the Territorial Dispatch, you just type that out into your uh, your search engine, territorialdispatch.biz, and you can look at the articles in the newspaper. But you can go there uh, to our website, and uh, you can also go to your local. I mean, you probably sorted that out. Your your local. You can tell your friends they could do that. Either either or. You could go to, to your local podcast app. I think we're hooked into Google and and iTunes. So um, you can reach me. Although I won't take obviously not taking live calls. These are recorded. But you can reach me at 530-713-1838, 530-713-1838. Or if you ever want to text me, you can text me to that number. Or you can email me at lou, L-O-U, at nohostagesradio.com. Hostages, nohostagesradio.com. Lou at, L-O-U at. You can email me if you like and, and send me uh, some feedback, maybe where you're, where you're listening from or what you like or what you don't like about the show. Anything's fine. I'm interested in what you're up to and, and why you're listening. So um, I want to also mention that uh, and, and acknowledge the fact that this is Father's Day weekend and to congratulate the dads out there that are uh, doing their best to be a good father to their kids. We do have a lot of divorce in the country. So my friend, Dr. Cassidy, who was the health officer for Yuba County for about 25 years uh, and worked also with all the uh, health issues in the Yuba County Jail, took care of about three or 400, three or 400 uh, inmates each day. And he found that there was a real dearth of connection between dads and their children. Really since the 1950s, 60s, when there began a push towards feminism and the idea that the government could actually replace a father, uh, there's been a real downfall uh, and struggle uh, among young people, children, and breakdown in the family. And it's had a devastating effect. Dr. Cassidy would have often say that 
to fathers, he started a course called Fathers First. Because really when welfare uh, became a big deal in the 1960s, they basically said if you, as long as you have a child or going to have a child and get the husband and the husband or the, the partner or the sperm donors out of the house will give you money. The government will become your sugar daddy. But if the guy comes back, we'll take the money back. It really created a really a perverted way of life. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. But uh, so way to go. Uh, well, Dr. Cassidy, I was going to mention, uh, would say to dads that did no longer were living with their children, maybe there was a divorce or maybe there was never a marriage and it was just a separation now. And they had a child but never did get together, as they say. So we have these really strange terms today, like that's my baby's daddy or that's my baby's mama. Just these crazy terms that young people have come up with to describe the dysfunction in our, it's kind of an indictment of, on, of our society. Um, so one of the most uh, despised uh, black guys or, or some of the most despised black guys that were actually real black guys. They aren't like Obama that's half and half, but Walter Williams and Thomas Sowell, both economists, both renowned economists. They're uh, all-star economists in the United States. Thomas Sowell served at a number of universities. He's basically at the end of his career now. He serves on some boards, Stanford University, Hoover Foundation, or Hoover Institution, uh, Walter Williams retired also. He was at uh, uh, George Mason University, I think it is. Anyway, Walter Williams and Thomas Sowell write a lot about the hucksters, the black hucksters, and the hustle that somehow blame the plight, if there is a plight, of black people today on something that occurred three, three or four hundred years ago, two to three to four hundred years ago. And uh, but if you really look at the facts, it's just like a lot of myths, you know, they just keep getting repeated. And then you eventually come to the conclusion that when you start finding out some facts that you've you've been believing a lie for all these years, it's kind of like when I went to Marysville High School and they told me I came from a monkey. Then I tried it. I tried a couple of years at Sacramento State College, Cal State University, Sacramento. They told me the same thing. I just said, oh, whatever. You know, my parents weren't spiritual people. They didn't follow God or anything. So I just answered the correct way on a test, got my grade and moved on. But uh, there's just a lot of baloney out there. Global warming is just total baloney. The fact that we're going to, the whole earth is going to unravel because of man's existence here. Uh, I'm going to talk about that later with Al, Al Gore. We have some clips today about that as well. So uh, we'll be talking about some of the fallacies of global warming and the lies and, and all the money that's been made off this charade, the fact that scientists have been turned into little prostitutes to get their grants and agendas. As long as they turn tricks for the politicians, they'll say whatever they're, whatever they're asked to say. But uh, Walter Williams wrote an article called The Welfare State's Legacy. And he said the whole concept of black Americans' uh, difficulties, whatever you describe them as, uh, to say they're a result of the legacy of slavery or racial discrimination and poverty, uh, 
if you it's kind of like global warming if you if you uh, oppose that view if you question that view you're mocked and shamed and and her you know uh taunted and it's just a big deal but that's what's been told to us by academics and civil rights uh, advocates for 40, 50 years now. But there's little evidence to support it. The number one problem among blacks is the effect of a weak family structure. And that's why I'm talking about it today, because it's Father's Day weekend. Children from father, fatherless homes are likelier to drop out of high school, die by suicide, have behavioral, behavioral disorders, join gangs, commit crimes, and end up in prison. First time I heard that was when Dr. Cassidy commented that something like 80-85% of guys in prison uh, didn't have a dad in the household. And you think, well, you know, in World War II and hundreds of thousands of people, men, primarily men, were killed— those women had to raise kids. Yeah, and they did. Many of them went on to marry uh, and have a stepfather in the house. But today, we don't have so much of that. We just have home, we have people that are living separate, have sexual relations, and we don't really have two people that have, are the head of a family anymore. They don't, they don't marry a second guy. Um, also, single... Family households will likely live in poverty and ghettos. It's just a bad situation. So I'm going to take a break here uh, as we're coming to the end of our first segment of six segments. And uh, I'm going to play you a clip here about Bernie Sanders and the lies about his past. He's a liar. He's a communist, basically. And uh, he actually took his, I think, his honeymoon vacation in communist Russia many, many years ago. What a horrible place to visit. So we'll be right back and uh, stay with us if you like. If not, uh, go do something else and we'll uh, hang on with the rest of the folks. We'll be right back. Sanders is trying to rewrite history, but we are not going to let him get away with that. Here's what happened. Bernie Sanders was asked this weekend if America is ready for a socialist president. And Bernie, as out of touch as ever with the American people who do not want socialism, Bernie said, yes. Watch. I think the answer is yes, but I think it's important for the American people to understand what my definition is of democratic socialism. It's certainly not how Donald Trump uh, defines it. I've spent my whole life fighting for democracy, fighting against authoritarianism, whether it was in the Soviet Union, Venezuela, or any place else. I've spent my whole life fighting against authoritarianism, whether it was in the Soviet Union or Venezuela or any place else. That is fake news. Bernie Sanders literally honeymooned in Soviet Russia in 1988. And then... He praised the socialist social programs there. That is not fighting against authoritarianism. And you want to know the truth about Bernie in Venezuela? Bernie Sanders posted an article on his official Senate website that says Venezuela is living the American dream better than America. That article, you can see it on the screen, is still up on Bernie Sanders' website to this day. Literally, showers are now a luxury in Venezuela thanks to socialism. 
If there's one pattern of behavior in Bernie's, you know, 165 years in Congress, it's the fact that he pals around with authoritarian regimes and ideas and ideologies. For example, Bernie once said breadlines in communist countries are a good thing. Watch. Sometimes American journalists talk about how bad a country is because people are lining up for food. That's a good thing. In other countries, people don't line up for food. The rich get the food and the poor starve to death. In 1985, Bernie Sanders also praised the communist Castro regime in Cuba and admitted on camera that he traveled to communist Nicaragua to, to advise the communist Ortega regime on how to sell communist ideas to the United States. Take a look. You may recall way back in, when was it, 1961, they invaded Cuba. And everybody was totally convinced that Castro was the worst guy in the world, that all the Cuban people were going to rise up in rebellion against Fidel Castro. They had forgot that he educated their kids, gave them health care, totally transformed the society. How do you find the sincerity of Sandinista leaders? I was impressed. I was impressed by Father Descoto because he is a very gentle, very loving man. Uh, Ortega is an impressive guy. Did you have suggestions for them how they could organize their um, PR a little bit more effectively? I think it's yes. I mean, I, I, the point that I try to make to many of the people that I spoke to is they're getting killed in the American media. That is not fighting against authoritarianism. In 1980, Bernie Sanders was an elector of the Socialist Workers' Party, which was founded on the principles of Leon Trotsky. This Socialist Party called for solidarity with revolutionary regimes in Iran, Grenada, Nicaragua, and Cuba, and wanted to abolish the U.S. military budget entirely. That is not fighting against authoritarianism. And Bernie Sanders to this day has never disavowed any of this. Bernie Sanders claims that his definition of democratic socialism is certainly not how Donald Trump defines it. Well, that's for darn sure, because President Trump and most Americans define authoritarianism as a government depriving private citizens of their rights. And Bernie Sanders wants that form of authoritarian government here in the United States. Bernie says he wants to bring a healthcare system like Canada or the UK here to the United States. Do you want to talk about authoritarianism? Do you want healthcare like Canada, where a father of a teenage girl has been threatened by the government with prison time if he calls his daughter by female pronouns because she wants to be a boy instead? Do you want healthcare like the UK, where babies like Charlie Gard and Alfie Evans were forced to die against the wishes of their parents because of authoritarian dictates by the government? Bernie Sanders, is lying about his past because he's desperate for your vote. So he resorts to lying because that's what authoritarian politicians do. Don't fall for it. And that is my final point. I was talking here uh, as we slipped into that break about a 2017 article by Walter Williams and uh, where he talks about the welfare state's legacy. And you would think that if, if uh, I mean, logically, if slavery was the, the driver of dysfunction in black, the black community today, 
that you'd be able to see that trend begin uh, at the time the blacks were freed and that it would continue to um, be bad from that point on. Maybe it would get worse and worse and worse or stay about the same, but it would just be bad. In other words, if, if slavery was the driver of dysfunction, then that would be the issue. But uh, it's not. Let me give you some figures. In, two, in 1960, which was when the war on poverty was declared by Lyndon uh, Johnson, the president of the United States, and it was after a book by a guy named Harrington, I think. I think I read the book in college. And uh, Michael Harrington, I think his name is. You can look it up. And it was this devastating book on the poverty in America. And, you know, even though they're the wealthiest country in the world. But uh, anyway, uh, it triggered just handing out money to people. And they felt if we just gave money away, then... Uh, people would be better off and they would thrive. And we would end poverty just by redistributing money, taking money from people that paid taxes and giving it to people that didn't pay any taxes. So just by breathing, you got the benefit of money coming your way. But in 1960, just 22% of black children were raised in a single parent family. Just think of that. That's a very low amount. But 50 years later, you would think that if you would think, well, maybe it'd stay the same or it would get worse, right? If slavery was the driver and it's just like this, this DNA of slavery, this DNA of, of uh, abuse uh, was so ingrained in black people that they couldn't overcome it. But even, even in the early years um, during slavery, many liberals believed that, that, uh, Black people weren't as evolved. They believed in evolution, that they came, everybody came from primates, monkeys. And they believed that black people were really a throwback to the monkeys and that they were very, very slow in evolving, as opposed to the biblical point of view, which is that there's one race, not multiple races, of people, and all were created by God. And so, uh, but they lived, but, but people lived in different parts of the world, and some thrived and some didn't, depending on lots of issues. So we don't have time to get in. I, in fact, Tom Sowell wrote a book about the, just this issue. Why did some groups of people thrive and others did not? So in 1960, just 22% of black children were raised in a single-parent home. Fifty years later, more than 70% of black children were raised in single-parent families. So what happened, like if, if slavery, the end of slavery occurred in the 1850s, a hundred years later, in 1960, we have 22% of black children raised in single-parent homes. But 50 years after that, 70%, what happened between 1960 and 2010? Was this a leg legacy of slavery, or is it the impact of the welfare state that began at the same year of 1960 and took a group of people where they had two—I'm not saying many of them weren't considered the working poor, but there were parents, two parents in each home, not one. And in the situation in—, in 70, uh, 50 years later, in 2010, what you had was 
that single person was not working, but was simply getting a check from her pseudo-husband called the U.S. government. In, 19, in the 1938 Encyclopedia of Social Sciences, an article declared that year 11% of black children were born to unwed mothers. In 1938. Now, if you, whether you think that's bad or not, that's the fact in 1938. So if we went from 22% to 70% of black children being raised in single-parent households, what do you think happened to that 11%? Today, and, and when this article was written in late 2017, 75% of black children are born to unwed mothers. So was that a, a throwback, a DNA throwback, a mutation that all of a sudden slavery the impact of slavery, raise an ugly head. It's so pitiful to hear black people, young or older, blame slavery on some condition they have today. Williams says the bottom line is that the black family was stronger in the first 100 years after slavery than during uh, what will be the second 100 years. Isn't that interesting? What, what changed? I'll tell you what changed the U.S. government changed. When you look at problems in the United States, government has created those problems, and then when it tries to fix them, it actually makes them worse. Williams says at one time, almost all black families were poor, regardless of whether one or both parents were present. Today, roughly 30% of blacks are poor. Right? In other words, blacks aren't as poor now. However, two-parent black families are rarely poor. Only 8% of black married couple families live in poverty. Isn't that interesting? Only 8%. Among black families in which both the husband and wife work full-time, the poverty rate is under 5%. So when you say, oh, poor blacks, what, what's poor about them? The family's broken. In those broken families that those broken families were not broken until the government began to hand out money to people. Poverty in black families headed by single women is 37% instead of 5% where there's a married couple or a couple. The, the truth, the undeniable truth, is that neither slavery nor discriminatory laws nor racism ever decimated the black family the way that the welfare state has. But the liberals in this country worship at the altar of the welfare state. And it's interesting to me, even locally, <clears throat> we have people that just, oh, I'm conservative. Oh, I'm, I'm a Republican. They believe the same thing. Like right, right now, they believe in the Yuba County Supervisor. Probably a lot of those guys think they're Republicans. But they totally believe in taking money from the people. And they think they're better at redistributing it than leaving it in people's own hands. That is a straight-up socialist-communist concept. And they would just yell at you and cuss and spit and throw things all day because they think they're such good Republicans. They are good conservatives. They're not conservative view. That's not a conservative view. 
For instance, the, the Yuba Water Agency, as they're calling themselves now, to take all the revenues from water and power sales, and now they become this little mini-government, little kingdom over there, and they're going to fix Yuba County. It's just not—it's it, not a— uh, Private enterprise, free enterprise, capitalistic approach. And it will turn to corruption. The black family structure is not the only uh, terrible thing suffered by blacks in the age of racial enlightenment. In every census from 1890 to 1954, blacks were either just as active or more so than whites in the labor market. From 1890 to 1954, they were more active. They, there were more whites lazing around than blacks. Some of you have this myth of the stereotypes that black people are lazy. That was not the case. They were very energetic and enterprising from 1890. That's 64 years to 1954. What began to happen in the late 50s? The welfare, the welfare system enlarged. During the earlier period, black teen unemployment was roughly equal or less than white teen unemployment. As early as 1900, the duration of black unemployment was 15% shorter than that of whites. Today, it's about 30% longer. If a black uh, gets laid off, he's going to be laid off 30% longer. Was there less discrimination? Closer to slavery or more discrimination? You know, you just can't, you just, when you look at the facts, you can't make the arguments the charlatans are and the liberals in this country. The government, the liberal government of the United States leans to labor unions. In fact, if you look at the Davis-Bacon Act in the 1930s, that was an effort to legislate blacks out of the, out of the uh, trades. But yet, Democrats that get most of the black vote are constantly in support of labor unions. Labor unions have had a long history of discrimination against blacks and minorities. The great black uh, advocate of freedom, Frederick Douglass, wrote about this in 1874 in an essay titled The Folly, the Tyranny, and Wickedness of Labor Unions. Booker T. Washington did the same thing, wrote an article in 1913, an essay said the Negro and the labor unions, to the detriment of their constituents, most of today's black politicians give 100% support to labor, labor laws pushed by unions and white liberal organizations that have done damage to their own people. The final thing is unionized education. Blacks uh, are way behind. If you if you hire a black kid that's a, a graduate of high school, he essentially has equivalent of an eighth grade performance level. That's what you're hiring because of lousy schools that blacks have. But when blacks wanted to have in the urban areas, when blacks wanted vouchers, people like Barack Obama opposed it, like in Washington D.C. An employer hiring uh, or a college admitting the typical black high school graduate is in effect hiring or admitting an eighth grader. So we shouldn't be surprised about the outcomes. 
pretty sad, pretty sad. Well, um, we have some real problems in our country, and, and what's happening is, I can't speak for the rest of the country. I know that there are similar problems, throughout, some similarities throughout the country. Um, but we have some real problems here in California where I'm speaking from, and sadly, many of the trends that start in California end up being picked up elsewhere. It's great. It's a good, good thing when it's a positive thing, but it's a terrible thing when it's dysfunction. Ben Shapiro, the uh, he has a, a he is a writer. He's a <clears throat> in the media all the time. You've probably seen him on YouTube or on television shows. He says seventy five years ago, young Americans braved Nazi fire on beaches to liberate a continent and defend constitutional rights. Today, young people whine about people making them mean jokes about them on YouTube and demand censorship. Isn't that sad? Here we are at the 75th anniversary to commemorate D-Day. And when you look at 18, 17, 18, 19-year-olds on college campuses and then coming out of high school and they're whining about people uh, and they're demanding things, demanding free education, demand, demand, demand their rights. And those same age group of Americans 75 years ago were a gnarly bunch of folks that could kick some rear. We've come a long way backwards, baby. Well, let's see. I have, I want to talk about the Gibson Bakery next because there's certain things on here I really want to talk about and other things I will talk about if we have time. There's a place called the Gibson Bakery and Market and, uh, it's in Oberlin, Ohio. Maybe you've never heard of Oberlin, but um, there's a, a famous college there. Oberlin is the first college, white college, that took in black men, and then it finally took in black women and white women. It was the first college in the United States to do all those things. First college to do co-ed. First college to... Uh, integrate uh, and uh, had an amazing <clears throat> history. In fact, I wrote an article about it that we'll post on the website. You can read about it. I, I just it, It's titled Oberlin, O-B-E-R-L-I-N. So this was right after the, the time of slavery. And the at one time, a third of all professionals, black professionals, were graduating from Oberlin. And uh, very sad, uh, it has taken a turn like many wonderful college. It was, Oberlin was started by two Presbyterian ministers and who believed that they wanted to train up uh, young people to be great American citizens. The second president of Oberlin was a man named Charles Finney, who at that time was, and still I think would be regarded, even in the likes, in the shadow of Billy Graham, he, uh, Finney would be considered maybe the greatest American evangelist ever. Um, people claimed that they, that 
there was something unique about Finney that sometimes just being in his presence brought people under conviction of their sin. And uh, Finney was also a strong advocate uh, against slavery. He was what they call an abolitionist. And um, they hired Charles Finney, who was actually teaching on staff at Oberlin at that time, and they hired him to be the president. Oberlin, Oberlin was a key uh, part of the Underground Railroad. It was only 15 miles from Lake Erie, which they would smuggle black people to get them up into Canada, out of the United States to get them free, part of that underground railroads, so to speak, quote, within, within quotes, is putting them on a boat across Lake Erie. So Oberlin students even uh, broke people out of incarceration that were being held, black people, to be sent back. They were caught. They were runaway slaves. They were caught. They were going to be sent back to their uh, plantation or whatever you want to call it, slave owner. And, and Oberlin college students actually literally set people free. But the, like a lot of <clears throat> the uh, victims of liberalism, the college has sustained generations now of liberalism. And uh, in the town of Oberlin, there is a store that has been there since the 1800s. Isn't that amazing? I, I've... Uh, I've lived in the Marisol Yuba City area of Northern California a long time, and it's hard to find a store that has been there my entire existence. But the Gibson's Bakery and uh, Market had been there since the 18, like the middle, the late 1880s, and uh, gone through generation after generation of Gibson's. And so, right after President Trump was assumed office uh, a young man a college student was in Gibson's market and was caught stealing wine and uh, I guess they have a problem which is really sad this is a story in itself that in a lot of college towns there's a lot of theft people you know students think that they stealing from the rich in other words if you have a store that means you're rich and that they somehow justify taking from the rich for themselves. And so in many stores, they have to leave their backpack outside because they would hide stuff in their backpack. So this guy was caught stealing wine, and he resisted, and a, a tussle uh, ensued. They ended up on the ground, two uh, black females who were a part of the distraction to steal the wine got involved. They ended up all three... Uh, pleading to theft and uh, and admitting that uh, they that this store was not racist. They weren't racial profiling. They just simply were caught some people stealing liquor. So uh, Oberlin College, uh, the dean of students, be, took took part in an organized protest, calling this. Uh, this store racist and uh and i'll tell you the rest of it as we come back but i we're going to take a break right now and uh i'm going to play you my first of a couple clips today on the montana glaciers refusing to cooperate with global warming 
So we will we will be back in, in just a second and we'll continue on with the Overland College debacle. I got on this morning, there's a telephone ring, pick the damn thing up, didn't say a thing. Hello, this is Tony Hiller from RealClimateScience.com, setting the record straight about climate. This video is titled, Montana Glaciers Refusing to Cooperate. This is the scene in Glacier National Park, Montana, this afternoon. Deep snow on the ground from the winter and fresh snow on top of it. Since the beginning of October, temperatures in Montana have been far below normal, as they have been in much of the United States. During March, the Washington Post Capital Weather Gang reported that Montana just endured one of the nation's most exceptional cold spells on record. They said the cold's intensity and duration was unlike anything seen in decades in the lower 48. During March, Elk Park, Montana reached 46 below zero, which was record cold for the month for the state. According to the United States Geological Survey, the relatively small alpine glaciers that cling to Montana mountainsides today are considered geologically new, having formed about 7,000 years ago. These glaciers grew substantially during the Little Ice Age that began around 1400 and reached their maximum size at the end of the Little Ice Age around the year 1850. So what this means is that there were no glaciers in Montana 7,000 years ago when carbon dioxide levels were very low. And the glaciers grew substantially during the Little Ice Age, which some climate scientists now say never happened. But after the year 1850, the glaciers in Montana started to melt very rapidly. According to the United States Geological Survey, the glaciers were retreating as much as 100 meters per year between 1917 and 1941. And they say that the rapid rate of retreat from 1917 to 1941 was due to the Pacific Decadal Oscillation, an ocean circulation pattern. The glaciers retreated a lot in Montana after the year 1913, as you can see in this animation I made from the USGS website. If they were retreating at 100 meters per year from 1917 to 1941, as the USGS said, that would correspond to several kilometers of retreat. In fact, the glaciers were retreating so fast that in 1923, experts predicted that glaciers would be gone in 25 years, by the year 1948. In 1948, the glaciers were still there, so scientists changed their prediction in 1952 to 50 years from then, which would have been the year 2002 the glaciers were supposed to be gone. Well, the glaciers were still there in 2002, so in 2009, scientists changed their prediction to ice-free by 2020, next year. Apparently, Glacier National Park had signs up saying that the glaciers were going to be gone by the year 2020, and they've been quietly taking them down. In fact, some people say that the glaciers in Glacier National Park have been growing for the past decade. I haven't found any way to confirm that, but it wouldn't be surprising given the cold, snowy winters they've been having there recently. So experts have changed their prediction again, and now they say they're going to be gone in the year 2044, which is almost a century later than their original forecast. So what's going on in Montana? According to NOAA, they've been warming very rapidly over the past century. We know from the United States Geological Survey that glaciers were melting very rapidly in Montana from 1917 to 1941, when NOAA said it was very cold. And now there are reports that glaciers are growing in Montana, when NOAA says it's very warm. Most scientists believe that ice melts when it's warm, and it freezes when it's cold. But in climate science, it seems to be the exact opposite. NOAA massively tampers with Montana temperature data, cooling the past by about 3 degrees. 
By tampering with the data, NOAA creates the appearance of a warming trend of about 3 degrees, which just happens to be the same amount as their cooling in the past. Nature just doesn't seem to be cooperating with their ice-free Montana forecasts. Despite all the incompetence and malfeasance I've exposed in this video, there'll be comments appearing saying, you're just cherry-picking one small place on Earth. And 97% of experts disagree with you, and you've been totally debunked. It's just like the story of the Emperor's New Clothes. You get enough experts telling people that this is ice-free, and many of them will actually believe it. We could have glaciers plowing through downtown Chicago, and many climate alarmists would still believe it was due to global warming. Visit Toto on the web at realclimatescience.com. He's been pulling back the curtain on junk science for a long time. I'm guilty He don't know that I'm passing through Alright, so onward we go telling you about Oberlin College So they organized hundreds of students and distributed flyers saying that this store racially profiled their, their customers and were actually uh, were racist had been racist for years this store actually not only sold products out of their store, but they sold a lot of baked goods that were, were uh, provided on the college campus. The college campus stopped using uh, Gibsons for a time, then started back again. But finally, there was such an uproar and a fiasco that the Gibsons uh, sued the college. You think, oh, why sue the college? Well, because not only were the students... Uh, causing a problem, but this, the college actually participated in distributing resolutions about the racism at Gibson's and affected the business. So uh, recently, uh, the judge in this case ruled in favor of Gibson's and told the college that they must pay Gibson's $11 million dollars and there's going to be a penalty phase, in other words, punitive damages. And if they get punitive damages on top of the 11 million damage that was already done to the business itself, the economics, they may get $33 million. Now, here's the significance. The, the, the college is, and all these colleges are rallying around the country today, this week, if you want to say it that way, saying, hey, 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 this isn't fair. We, we're not responsible for what our kids do. Well, colleges, the mission of a college was to raise good citizens. And if the college wants to endorse or facilitate rioting and promoting of uh, lies and propaganda in the community, then they have to take responsibility for it. So I'm thrilled that Oberlin is going to have to pay up. The sad thing is that this college at one time was one of the shining lights in this uh, among colleges in the United States in terms of putting out wonderful citizens, young people of all flavors. And who could be prouder of a, her prouder of a heritage uh, that would have worked on behalf of people that were being uh, punished and held against their will and setting them free. 
and where the students actually took part in helping people get free. So, um, some people feel that this judgment against Oberlin College will make a statement about all colleges and how far they want to go in their mission at being politically correct and uh, controlling people's thought. And basically, when I went to college, which was many years ago, decades ago, uh, colleges were kind of a lawless place. You couldn't smoke dope out in the city, but you could smoke dope on campus. You could deal dope on campus. Uh, you could get away with a lot of wild stuff on campus that you couldn't get away with in the city. So today, basically, colleges are even more lawless. And uh, so we'll see, as you've seen riots where they, uh, students have burned down buildings on campus and off campus, and they've done all manners of screwy stuff. But now they're going to, this judge is willing to hold them accountable. And uh, so there's some squealing going on amongst the universities. So the other uh, good news is a group called True the Vote. You, you ever remember to, True the Vote? If you remember back in about 2010, uh, I remember this so clearly when the news media talked to Barack Obama one day, and I was watching it on the YouTube or something, and they asked him about uh, a scandal that had uh, stirred up about the IRS, of all people, becoming fav playing favorites and being partial about who they gave nonprofit status to, and that the normal nonprofit process of getting nonprofit status, some agent, some uh, groups were fighting for years to just get a simple nonprofit status uh, and being able to function. And some were getting it very quickly and some weren't, and there was a bias. And so there's this scandal blew up. Obama was asked about it, and he said, oh, I, I have no idea anything about this. In fact, the first I heard about it was when I heard it on the media. And I thought, oh, that's, that's a lie. Presidents don't just hear stuff in the media. They know what's going on. They get briefed. What happened was that, that uh, Lois Lerner, if you remember Lois, she took the fifth. Remember, she declared she wasn't going to incriminate herself, took the Fifth Amendment, as they say. She was testifying before the House Judiciary Committee. And Lerner uh, basically said, uh, she said some stuff, but then stopped talking. But basically what they were saying is they didn't know anything that was going wrong, and it probably, if it, it was like the film uh, that started the Benghazi fiasco, there must have been a couple of renegade agents down in Cincinnati or something. You remember that? One gal that uh, they shouldn't have messed with is a gal named Catherine Engelbrecht, Engelbrecht. And she is a Texan, along with her husband, Brian. They own a business in Harris County, Texas. And they were a part of the uh, Patriot, the, uh, oh, what do they call it? Tea Party Patriots. And so down there, the Tea Party Patriots, like we had some here, and they were meeting, and they were concerned about the way that the election went down. 
uh, in that county and that there wasn't enough poll workers and they felt there might have been corruption. So they started a second organization called True the Vote. And the only reason they wanted to exist was to make sure that votes were legal. Whoever, they weren't trying to steer who would win. They were just wanting to make sure that all votes were legally cast. And so uh, when they applied to the IRS, the Engelbrechts came under investigation. Now, this is totally amazing because I've filed and have been awarded a number of nonprofits in my business career, if you want to call it that. But I work mainly in the nonprofit. I've started church, church nonprofits, whether they were churches or religious organizations, a number of them. And they're fairly easy to, I mean, there's, there's some work involved. But, um, but, but I got them approved right away. So what happened with this, uh, in 2010, uh, Engelbrecht, when they started to raise a stink about not getting their certification as a nonprofit, they began to get investigated. Not only the Tea Party group, True the Vote, but also the Engelbrecht's own business, which is kind of an engineering or machinery engineering business. They were investigated 23 different times by the IRS, the Department of Justice, the FBI, Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearm, OSHA, and on and on and on. And some of these agencies investigated them more than once. And, and you can go on YouTube and see Catherine Engelbrecht be interviewed by the House Judiciary Committee. And... Uh, it was wild. And so they kept fighting and they sued the IRS. And I don't know whether you realize this or not, but the government of the United States, since Trump took over, the government has agreed to pay all these different organizations that applied for 501c3, 501c4 status, but, but were harassed and people were personally harassed. And I, I won't get into all the details because I don't think it's important now, but individuals that belong to these organizations were harassed. They it went in one of our local uh, Tea Party groups locally were harassed and actually got a check recently. Uh, so Engelbrecht uh, ended up suing the government, and uh, there, then there was a class action suit. Uh, so the... In, in the win, True the Vote won, the amount awarded to True the Vote still has uh, is pending. But they're going to be able to recover $1.9 million in attorney's fees from the U.S. government. Now you think, well, that's a bummer because that's coming out of our tax dollars. Yeah, but it, it is. But I don't know about what you're thinking, but being raised in the United States, I, didn't always, I never liked getting a letter from the IRS wondering about my tax return, but I did believe they were honest and I didn't believe they were partial and I, or I didn't believe they were part of some deep state group that was going to try to control the election and try to eliminate conservative groups from existing, which is what Lois Lerner was doing at the behest of a Barack Obama is they were, this all occurred right before his second a term when he was running for the second term and they were trying to eliminate conservative opposition which was this grassroots movement called the Tea Party. 
and then it boiled over into these true-the-vote type organizations. So they had a couple different attorney firms. James Bopp, you may have, if you're involved in pro-life at all, James Bopp has been an attorney for pro-life groups for years, the Bopp Law Firm. They were uh, representing true-the-vote. Also, Brock Akers of the Akers Firm, uh, he was a counsel for True the Vote as well. He said the con conduct of the IRS and the government was nothing short of shocking. This ruling ought to reflect a collective sigh of relief from everyone that the judicial system really can be turned to for a just end to this nightmare. Uh, he says, check off one in favor of the justice system versus the swamp. Uh, so uh, that these two things, the Gibson ruling and the uh, true the vote ruling, are huge uh, blessings for the entire country, whether you're liberal or conservative, because either side can get abused when when things go sideways. Either side, e either side can be hurt if the law is not obeyed. And what was happening, and what is still happening, uh, with deep state resisting Donald Trump as these people are violating the law, trying to cause problems um, in the workings of government. Now, I don't know whether I can find this really quick. I, I, I'd like to talk about this. We just have about six or seven minutes. Here we go. There was a, uh, a Navy SEAL, I believe he's a Navy SEAL, Ryan Zink, Z-I-N-K-E, Montana, and he was appointed to be interior secretary by President Trump. But uh, and t as soon as any, any of these people were appointed to be head of anything, there were hundreds of liberal uh, public interest groups and law firms that began finding anything they could to attack them and to find something they did wrong so they could... Uh, defame or ruin their reputation and cause them to resign, right? Make it so bad. So Ryan Zink has uh, resigned and been replaced. And uh, one of the first things that the uh, liberals did was they went after Ryan Zink because one day he put on a pair of socks. Uh, he was going to a Mount Rushmore event. And at that event, he put on a pair of socks. I didn't even know these existed, but they're uh, Donald Trump, and it's a picture. It's actually they're uh, they look like a, a they're blue socks with stars around the top, white stars, and in the middle they have a photo or a picture rendition of Donald Trump looking at you with the the stripes of the American flag. So the flag's behind Donald Trump, and then under as you go down towards the ankle, it says, make America great again. Now, we, Hillary Clinton never has gone to jail. Barack Obama never has gone to jail. Eric Holder has never gone to jail. I mean, we could just list, list after list after list of people that are corrupt in the Obama administration. But the liberals came after the socks of Ryan Zink. Make America Great Socks, because as a leader of an agency, you cannot politicize your clothing. 
You have to be wear neutral clothing. Uh, and the, the law behind that is a, a law called the Hatch Act, is a piece of ethics legislation designed to prevent government resources from being used for private, economic, or political gain. Now, in this case, Ryan Zink, I think, bought his own socks, but, but they, they accused him. They filed an action against him because he, he shouldn't be wearing Make America Great socks where he was supportive of the president. It's not supportive of candidate. It's supportive of the president of the United States. So, um, so in response to the campaign for accountability, it's a liberal ethics watchdog group. We just, we can't live without them. Now, now they're going to, we, we can lose 33,000 emails with Hillary and she can lie and do all kinds of things, and nothing happens to her. They didn't file an action against her, but they filed an action over the socks of Ryan Zinke. And uh, so he deleted... uh, Anyway, he... uh, Zinke had tweeted that he was breaking in new socks on a hike, on a hike over at the Mount Rushmore event. So he ended up deleting the, the socks tweet, which had a photo of the socks. In other words, he was proud of the socks and he apologized to the United States of America for making, wearing socks with the picture of the president on them. Now you might think that's weird. Now let me tell you what the hatch act was actually for. The hatch act was started in 1939 it was an act to prevent pernicious political activities. Now, I don't know whether just a pair of clean socks with the president on them is a pernicious activity. It's a federal law whose main provision prohibits employees in the executive branch of the federal government, that would be Zinke, except the president, vice president, and certain designated high officials from engaging in some forms of political activity. In other words, Zinke was described as performing uh, exercising his political activity by just simply wearing socks with a picture of the president. And I, I, I've also heard of these liberal groups protesting uh, department leaders putting up a picture of the president of the United States in their office, that that's bad. It's just we've lost our minds. So the law was named for Secretary Carl Hatch of New Mexico. And... Uh, here, here, here's the background to it, and this now, now we're down to fighting over socks. There were widespread allegations in the 1930s that local Democrat Party politicians used employees of the Works Progress Administration, that's the WPA. Remember, during the uh, that was during the uh, Depression, and basically the government took tax dollars and hired people to do public works projects. So uh, politicians used employees of the WPA during the congressional elections of 1938. Uh, And the idea was that they used these workers to do campaigning on behalf of Democrats. In Pennsylvania, Republicans and dissident Democrats publicized evidence that Democrat politicians were consulted on the appointment of WPA administrators and caseworkers 
and that they used WPA jobs to gain unfair political advantage. In 1938, a series of newspaper articles exposed WPA patronage and political contributions in return for employment, prompting an investigation by the Senate, etc., etc. Now, this was about trying to manipulate and undermine an election. And now we have liberals uh, saying that someone who served as a hero in the United States military cannot wear a pair of socks of his boss that portray his boss in a, in a favorable uh, perspective. So 1939 Hatch Act forbids the intimidation or bribery of voters and restricts political campaign activities by federal employees. So I guess Ryan Zinke, who now is in the private sector again, uh, was was some somehow affecting people's political view of the president of the United States. This is totally perversion, people. I just saw it when I saw this. It just blew my mind that they would they would go after so, something so simplistic. I also think they made a big deal about some doors that he was repairing on, on their their building where they uh, had their offices. So uh, we're at the end of our third uh, break here. So um, we're, I'm going to play you. We last break we played you Montana glaciers refusing to cooperate. And uh, so I'm going to play you right now Al Gore's inconvenient hypocrisy and uh, remind you of some of the foolishness that Gore has uh, been promoting and making hundreds of millions of dollars off his nonsense. We'll be right back. Practice what you preach. It's an admonition that we've all heard sometime in our lives when we're acting like hypocrites. It makes me wonder if Al Gore's parents ever scolded him for preaching one thing while doing another. This question came to mind after the release of Gore's follow-up to An Inconvenient Truth. You see, after the original movie came out in 2006, Gore was lambasted for being a hypocrite. While Gore was predicting climate doom because we are all using too much energy, his own electric bills proved he was burning 20 times more electricity than the average American household. There's nothing more destructive to a crusader's cause than hypocrisy. So Gore jumped into action. He put 33 280-watt solar panels on his roof and, among other improvements, installed geothermal. It seemed he was serious because he spent a quarter million dollars on the renovation. Well, that's the way it seemed anyway. To coincide with the release of Gore's sequel, the National Center for Public Policy Research conducted a new study to see if Gore had stopped being a hypocrite. Guess what? Ten years later, Al Gore is an even bigger energy hog. Gore is burning up not 20, but 34 times the electricity than the national average. The National Center discovered that from August 2016 through July 2017, Gore spent almost, get this, 
$22,000 on electricity bills for his posh Nashville home. Gore uses so much electricity, all those solar panels provide less than 6% of his power consumption. And by the way, Gore owns at least two other large homes and they were not included in this analysis. Some folks want to give Gore a pass because his home is huge, more than 10,000 square feet, but that argument doesn't hold up. Efficient homes use between 5 and 10 kilowatt hours of electricity per square foot each year, no matter how large or small. Gore's home uses 23. Doesn't it make you wonder what the heck is going on in there? Gore divorced his wife Tipper several years back and she lives in her own mansion in California. And Gore travels a lot, so the home is presumably empty a good percentage of the time. What's got that electric meter running so hard? Well, it's great fun pointing out Gore's astonishing hypocrisy. There's a more important point to be made here. Gore had to know his electricity bills would be scrutinized when the new film came out. Yet, he became an even bigger energy hog. What the former vice president's actions tell us is that it's more important for him to live the life of an energy-guzzling fat cat than it is to be a crusader who lives modestly so he actually has some credibility. Finally, and this is the most important fact of all, when Al Gore's term as vice president ended, he was worth about two million bucks. He then focused all his attention on becoming the world's chief climate change alarmist. It was an extremely lucrative career move. He's now estimated to be worth $300 million. So ask yourself, what's driving Al Gore? Is it really a sincere concern for the planet? Or is sounding the alarm about climate change a great way to get rich. talk for a second uh, about some of the changes that are happening uh, around the country uh, where we're really operating with truth rather than uh, fiction. And so you just heard a couple clips over the last breaks about Montana glaciers refusing to cooperate with global warming. Instead of all melting and disappearing, they're growing. And Al, Al Gore's lies and hypocrisy on how he runs his own life versus how he tells us we need to run our lives in terms of usage of energy, which is typical of political leaders. But at the same time, this last week, uh, there have the National Park Service people have slowly, the, you know, they put up signs. This is amazing how uh, penetrating this propaganda and lie is all the all the curriculum in our public schools about global warming and we're ruining the earth we're poisoning the earth you know that some somehow mankind is this is le this leech on the earth like i was talking to this one teenage friend of mine 
youngster. He's a sophomore in high school. And he was kind of bringing up his concerns in this area. And I said, well, have you ever thought of the fact that maybe God created the heavens and the earth and all the beauty and all the wonder and man and women were not a, a scourge, but a blessing. And th through using their brain, uh, they could do right by the earth and have modern conveniences, all the energy they wanted. And just, just a thought, if God created the earth, then he created the oil in the earth for man to figure out how to use. And then once he figured that out, be able to benefit by it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just a thought. And maybe God is good with this whole thing. So this whole baloney about glaciers melting, signs of, you know, how you go through national parks and there's signs explaining things that are the way they are. They tell you about the park. And uh, so Glacier National Park quietly has been removing a visitor center sign saying its iconic glaciers will disappear by 2020. They were so bullish that this that you're looking at this glacier, right? You go to the national park, you're checking the glacier out. And uh, so you think, oh, that's beautiful. And it says by 2020, that will be gone. But the fact is, because we've had several winters at the Glacier National Park, uh, where there's been heavy snowfall, and it threw off the climate model projections. Now, you, re you remember? These are climate model projections done on a computer based upon liars called climatologists that were getting paid by the government to say the stuff they're saying. So in other words, if they said, oh, I don't think this is really true. I think I don't think we're going to fall off the cliff warming wise. What happened when that when you would do that as a, a scientist, a climate scientist, you would lose your job or you would lose your grants. So how much true science do you get out of that? So a blogger that keeps an eye on these glaciers and takes photographs of them. Uh, he's noticing that not only the glacier didn't disappear, but that the signs were disappearing. Why? Because it's embarrassing. It's another embarrassment. You know how they have these these national or international global warming get-togethers? And it seems like every time they have one, there's a blizzard and it freezes their tush off. So as it happens, higher than average snowfall in recent years up into the computer model. Uh, so that's just the way that is. And so what's happening is thank God for the Obama or the Trump administration is going through and speaking the truth and, and, uh, rooting out this nonsense. They, maybe they can't do it in all the schools, but rooting out this lies and this baloney that has been spewed out that now, as we have moved along six, eight, 10 12 years since all this stuff started coming from the Obama administration and Al Gore, when they predicted all these things, they just didn't come to pass. So do you just going to keep saying like, it's kind of like where people predict the coming, the return of Jesus. I think the Jehovah witnesses have, I don't know whether they predicted the return of the world or, you know, all these different denominations or groups 
Oh, Jesus is coming coming back in 1984. Oh, no. Well, 1996. No, uh, 2002. Let's try 2002. It's just baloney. And so they keep changing their their gig all the way down. So uh, so that's just another one deal. I want to take time here for uh, before we get out of this segment and give credit to some people that help us stay on the air. Uh, they actually have helped us stay on the radio, uh, and uh, and that is. Let's see. Now I've lost my way here. Let me pull up another uh, deal here. Here we go. I wanted to mention uh, Elite Universal Security, and I want to make sure I got their phone number right, and it disappeared on me. One of our big helpers here has been Elite Universal Security. They operate in Northern California, and they're based out of Yuba County. They're in Yuba, Sutter, Butte, Shasta, up and down. They're all over the place. And uh, I noticed on their website last week that they got all kinds of openings for jobs, and I thought, man, I'm telling you, if you want to work, if you don't have a job now, you're, you've got problems because these guys are out. There's jobs all over the community here up in Northern California. But if you want to work for a uh, patrol operation or armed officer or unarmed officer or, uh, I mean, they're even offering uh, jobs down in Lathrop, Sacramento, they're expanding. And if you want to be a guard... You know, you can do that. Or maybe you want to, you think you try this and go into the law enforcement, you, they'll train you to do that. So Elite Universal Security at 5548 Feather River Boulevard, 7490280. That's a 530 area code, 7490280. And the cool thing about Elite Universal Security is they're now filling a gap that law enforcement now does not deal with, and that's uh, dealing with vagrants and homeless, and people that are pooping all over your property, and people that are panhandling and harassing your customers. You know, it's it's like, you know, people that don't know what they're talking about comment like this, homelessness. Oh, it just, well, it, it started with President Reagan. It always starts with a, a, a conservative, you know. It, oh, well, it started under George Bush. You know something? Uh, I got too many years on me. You can't fool me. And so when I used to, when I was five or six, staying with my grandmother along the railroad tracks in Marysville, where she lived, uh, what we called hobos would stop in and they would want her to give them some food. They'd like, they'd say, hey, can I do some work for you for a meal? It wasn't a handout. It wasn't like standing up with cardboard, but uh, they would say, can I get a, can I do some yard work for you? Do your yard and could you make me some food? And my grandma said, sure, do my yard. And she'd do that. But there was none of this nonsense uh, of trashing and uh, being loaded on meth all night and pit bulls barking and people cussing at each other out of their minds all night and the police not doing anything about it. And and uh, so now we have these security forces. Some are armed in some of the big cities, and they're actually taking the place of law enforcement because law enforcement just won't deal with stuff like they used to. They used to. But they don't now because of politicians telling them, stand down, just stand down. And judges, liberal judges that are trying to inflict socialism on us. And so they say if a person is doing drugs or alcohol, then it's cruel and unusual punishment to tell them 
that they need to uh, find some place else to do their business. And in fact, the only other the the only way you can do what I just said is you got to provide them a free place to stay. That's called socialism, folks. And that's an activist judge that's lost his ever-loving mind or her mind, whichever one you want to do. And now all these politicians are like little prostitutes running around obeying this nonsense uh, and ruining one. California is just a, it's just a crapper. It's just a big crapper. It's a shithole. So uh, elite universal security can preserve your business from complete destruction from the politicians of California. So you can give him a call. He al- they also do, uh, you can get your uh, concealed weapons permit and things of that nature, and they'll do all that business. You can get live scans. You can get, uh, if you need a live scan done, you can get a notary, mobile notary done. Uh, their classes have been put on hold for June. They're taking a break for June, but in July they're going to get back at it so you can get your concealed weapons permits, all that kind of stuff in July. So give them a shout, 530, if you want to check out maybe going to some of their classes or uh, getting a job, go get one, 749-0280. The other guys that, uh, or other guy that is a big help to us is the uh, Dave Greenitz Construction. And Dave has been a huge help to me. He's been a longtime friend, 40 years. He has, uh, to me, uh, the great, the greatest group of people working together in our local area, Yuba Sutter County's up here in the valley, remodeling homes. A lot of people, you know, they think, oh, I'm going to go get me a new home. Honestly, those new homes aren't built like old homes. I'm, I'm talking about back in the 30s, 40s, 50s. They were just built a lot better. To me, a lot better remodeling. If you got something good to start with, remodeling the home. But Dave Greenitz can redo your bathroom or your kitchen uh, or your entryway or portions of your home. Uh, put a deck on. Enlarge your whole living space by adding a beautiful deck. Or maybe you just need to freshen up things and uh, update, uh, you know, appliances and all the aspects of your home. So you can check this out. Go check this out. You don't need to even call him up. Just go sneak in and, and uh, do a drive-by on his his website at greenitzconstruction.com. Greenitz with, green with E-T-Z, construction.com. Or Dave Greenitz Construction Facebook site. You'll see some amazing photos of his finished work. And sometimes they'll even do before and after. Uh, I know I see those come across across my Facebook feed before and after. I think, whoa, that was amazing what they just did right there. So uh, you can email him off his uh, uh, website, or you could dial him up if you want. If you're really bold, I know most millennials can't handle just a straight-up phone call. They just they have to take some kind of a beta blocker or something, some mood mood uh, suppressant, so they get. They'll get like high blood pressure or something. Just call up and inquire. So 530-682-9602. That's 530-682-9602. And, or you could just shoot an email off his website if you have an inquiry about a certain type of job you want to do, and they'll help. They'll help you. 
Here's some of the unique things about Dave. This is something you think everybody, you know, you used to think everybody should be honest. Everybody should be reliable. Everybody should be dependable, people of integrity. Now you have to like highlight that because most people aren't. Do you know that? I was telling somebody last night on the phone, I said, you know, the reason Jesus or the reason God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and the one was about lying is because we got a big problem with lying in humanity. That's a big problem. So one of them has to do with lying. So uh, if Dave tells you he's going to be there or Monty tells you he's going to be there with the uh, elite universal security, they'll be there. And, uh, you know, I, I've had people do work on my house before and they, they do the work, but then they leave a mess. Dave cleans up his mess. When he finished, it's tidy, Right. He just in and out. Sometimes I leave a flight of Vietnam. I leave leave him the key to the house. And I'll just say, "Hey, here, can you do this punch list and fix all this stuff for me?" He does a lot of fix it stuff. I live in a really old house, and uh, so just come in and fix me up. When I get back, it's all clean. Everything's got new new thing new this new there. Painted this, repaired that. I'm good to go. So Greenest Construction and Elite Universal Security. They're making this show possible today thank you so much i'll tell you about one more later so uh i want to mention uh a guy that just unbelievable if i can find him uh and uh let's see whether i do that maybe i'll go back and do something else first i've been reading this last week about the tremendous corruption and waste in our united states government and it happens at the state government, federal government, and right down here to our city government. You just see waste. You just think, in fact, somebody says that one thing I read the other day, that 51%, they said, of every dollar is just totally wasted. Doesn't accomplish one thing. Maybe it, maybe it keeps a bunch of deep state paper pushers working, but, uh, you know, I I... I Recently, I've been noticed how people are being disrespectful toward farmers. You know, if we had a major meltdown in this country, a major crisis, most of the people at the, at the government would have nothing to offer the rest of us because they're paper pushers. The people you'd really want are the people that are creating food, right? Or that, that, knew, a, that knew a trade that actually can help you, like being a doctor, like a friend of mine just got really sick the other day and she really benefited from going to the doctor, right? I did too a while back. Really benefited from going to the doctor. Changed my life. So you could you could toss out millions of paper pushers are working for the federal government because in a crisis, in a meltdown in the country, they have nothing to offer. They're, they're not providing any services or goods. Uh, so uh, that's just the way that is. So I wanted to, right before Trump was taking office, if I could find this. Oh, yeah, it's on, it's on down here, Father. Uh, there were all these areas of incredible waste. And, uh, but maybe I'm not going to find it before we only got about three minutes left. But, but Trump made this incredible proclamation that he was going to root out the waste and uh yeah here it is 2016 nine horrific examples of government waste this is right before trump took office uh so when trump took office 
there were nine, just someone picked nine things. I mean, you could probably pick 800, but there was uh, $400,000, 412,000 was spent for, to study the feminine approach to glaciology. In other words, we just couldn't have an approach to the study of glaciers, but the National Science Foundation spent $412,000 for a paper, just a paper, a research paper encouraging a feminist approach to glaciology, the study of glaciers. I'm not going to go into all the details because it's so ridiculous, and I don't have a lot of time. The second big waste, and, and Trump said he was going to get at eliminating a lot of this, the... Uh, you know, the government uh, gives all these subsidies to farmers. And so they gave $20 million. They bought all a bunch of cheddar cheese. They bought enough cheddar cheese from farmers for 67 million grilled cheese sandwiches. I want you to think about that. Because they wanted to keep the price of cheddar cheese up. So instead of relying on farmers, like when, when I grew pomegranates, when I first grew them, we made pretty good money. But then everybody wanted to get in on it. And when everybody got in on it, we couldn't get as much money as we used to. Now, if we follow the cheddar cheese argument, then the government would have given me money and bought my pomegranates. But that's what they did for these farmers because they had lobbyists. So put another way, it says the USDA bought enough cheese to make 66.7 grilled cheese sandwiches assuming three one-ounce slices per sandwich with the cheddar at $1.60 a pound. $20 million. Why, why, do we, why do we even give money to farmers? I don't understand it. $87 billion on ignored Inspector General recommendations. $87 billion. In other words, the Inspector General comes in and says, we think you can save money here, 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 and here. But the including the Pentagon. I'm all for the military, but Pentagon wastes a lot of money. Department of Defense alone could have saved $33 billion if Pentagon officials did what their respective, their own inspector general said. The, the government does not track their credit card spending. Millions. They, 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 can't, they have 261,000 federal employees spent $19 billion using government-issued credit cards, but nobody really is staying on top of it. $461 million on no-strings-attached grants for the Middle East. In other words, they gave the money, but nobody follows up to see whether it was used, what it was intended for, economic development grants and, the, and such things. We'll come back in a minute. We're at the end of our... Our uh, fourth go around here. So um, we're going to play you a clip on Obama used regulations to enrich his friends. This is a new book out, uh, and you ought to go get the book. I'll tell about the book and everything. Let's listen to it in just a minute here. We'll be right back. The investigative journalist behind Clinton Cash is now on the Obama money trail. Peter Schweitzer has uncovered evidence that President Obama used his executive powers to regulate industries. We knew that part, but also then to lower the value of certain companies as a result. Then a firm owned by two close family friends swooping in and buying stakes at a discount. 
The book found a pattern of investments in coal, offshore mining, for-profit universities that closely tracked the Obama administration regulatory policy changes. And among the beneficiaries, billionaire activists Tom Steyer and George Soros. Now, those are names we've all heard, heard of. Peter Schweitzer uh, joins us tonight. And uh, again, it's great to see you. Congratulations you. on the book. Thanks. The Lee. new book is out. It is called Secret Empires, How the American Political Class Hides Corruption and Enriches Family and Friends. And it is, my friend, good to see you. It's great to see you. And, and it is, it's, it's an exciting book. It's exciting to see the revelations that, that, that fall out of the book page by page. Uh, the secret empires, smash and grab, uh, the, the people who are benefiting from it under the, uh, the Obama uh, passivity uh, of some eight years in duration. Yeah. Amazing stories. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's the new wave of corruption in Washington, D.C. I mean, we all remember Congressman Jefferson, who had the $90,000 cash stashed in his freezer. That's old school. That's old school. You know, that's that's chump change. We're talking about, in, in some cases, billion dollar deals involving close friends of politicians like Barack Obama or family members like Joe Biden's son, who are getting these major deals. Smash and grab a perfect example. Barack Obama's best friend, a guy named Marty Nesbitt, a lot of people mm -hmm. haven't heard of him, right. sets up a private equity fund while his friend is the regulator in chief. And what he does is he invests in what he calls, quote, highly regulated industries. Well, one of the ways Which is counterintuitive. Right? Exactly. It's who, who invests in highly regulated? Unless your best friend happens to be the regulator in exactly. chief. And so to give you one brief example, University of Phoenix, the for profit school, uh, Barack Obama's administration says, we think this school is bad. We're going to suspend the Pentagon from using GI Bill money for soldiers to go to school there. Well, of course, the stock price goes from $100 a share to about $3 a share. Guess who steps in to buy it? Barack Obama's best friend, Marty Nesbitt, and his company, Vistria Investors. They come in, they buy it for pennies on the dollar, and then lo and behold, the Obama administration says, you know what, we think we're going to let GI money flow again back to the University of Phoenix. And that pattern is repeated over and over again in other sectors of the economy. It was rampant. And that's one form, smash and grab. Right. Uh, and to see that pattern uh, emerge here. You know, while I think many people were averting their eyes in the national left wing media, imagine that. Uh, but the idea that the Biden uh, and Kerry uh, sons and stepson could come together to make money uh, off uh, the dad's, uh, uh, what would we call it, his business? Think about this, Lou, for a second. So you've got Vice President Biden, Secretary of State John Kerry from 2013 to 2016 negotiating with China on the South China Sea, on trade issues, on national security, on North Korea. And at this time, the sons, or in one case, John Kerry's close aide, are involved in businesses that involve multi-billion dollar deals with the Chinese government, not Chinese companies, the Chinese government. One very extreme example, 2013, Joe Biden flies over on Air Force Two to Beijing, China. Who's on the plane with it? His son, Hunter Biden, who, by the way, has no background in private equity. Joe Biden goes there, negotiates with the Chinese, widespread criticism. He's soft on Beijing. Ten days later, his son, Hunter, scores a $1.5 billion, with a B, private equity deal from the Chinese government. This is American princelings, and there are multiple examples in the book. And, and the idea that you, the South China Sea, as China's building out all of those artificial islands, 
they continue unconstrained, uninterrupted by the Obama administration. It's not until President Trump takes office that suddenly our destroyers and we're doing overflights to stop, try to stop uh, the further construction of those islands. It's it's appalling. Yeah, I mean, selling out the national. I mean, that is what they're doing. It's shocking. And, and specifically to that point, Lou, there's a major real estate transaction involving a company called Rosemont Realty that involves Chris Hines. That is John Kerry's stepson, right. Hunter Biden and a close carry aide named Devin Archer. Rosemont Realty does a major deal with a Chinese government company that is controlled by what is called the fifth arm of the Chinese Navy. So you have a military-related company buying into a company that is owned by these decision-makers in Washington, D.C. I mean, it's just outrageous. And, of course, we're watching the Chinese try to buy up what they can of Silicon Valley, wherever yep. Silicon Valley extends. Uh, the level of corruption is, is horrific. Uh, it's outlined in the new book, Sweet Secret Empires. Uh, Peter Schweitzer, uh, we highly recommend the book, Secret Empires. And... And thank you for doing everything you do. I appreciate I mean, it. Thank you. Uh, I don't know where we'd be without uh, your investigations and your uh, and your terrific writing. So thank you, sir. Well, thanks for your support over the years, Lou. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Did begin an expectation, driving me insane. What are you doing while you're out there? Has anyone else managed to restrain you? Better save a lot of love for me. You go and you come, come and you go. What can I do to make you know that you're All right, welcome back. And we are, uh, I was telling you about some examples of government waste. Just They just picked nine. And uh, I talked about credit cards and grants for the Middle East that nobody really follows up on. on. Never, never to see whether, you know, have you ever got a grant? And, and then you have to respond after you get the grant and you have to tell them what you did with the grant and how it benefited and whether, what your outcomes were. They don't even do that. Grants for the Middle East, $461 million. Social and economic development. How about this? $125 million on covered, covered up Pentagon waste. Is that amazing? Report that was, was produced, but it was ditched. Never, never to get exposed. I wonder if Trump's going to be able to get at this. I don't know. He talked about it. He talked about giving, they give more money to the Pentagon and they waste it. I don't understand it. Hundreds of thousands of dollars for IRS employees to live in luxury. This is amazing. I have another story, but I don't know that we'll have time to cover it, where an IRS employee ripped off the government for about, I don't know, millions of dollars. He was the guy that was in charge of all this climate change stuff. And he was pretending to be a CIA agent, and he never even came to work for years. He, he always told the bosses he was working special assignment for the CIA, and he just stayed home and just kicked back. They put him in prison, thank God. For You know, you wonder, does anybody ever go to prison anymore that does anything wrong, unless it's a juvenile hall kid that steals a stereo or hits somebody in the face? But you can rip off all the taxpayers and, and be good to go. Former IRS Chief Technology Officer Terry Mulholland called 
Texas his home, but most weeks he flew to Washington, D.C., slept at the Grand Hyatt Hotel downtown, and flew home on Thursday, all on the taxpayer's dime. A recent U.S. Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Government Affairs report found a number of IRS executives live far from where their jobs are. Wouldn't it be amazing if somebody gave you a job? Oh, we did. We gave a guy named Mitnick a job right over here in Sutter County and let him live in Ventura County on the other end of the state, and he just flew back and had the long weekends. So we do it right here locally. And and we know about it, and the supervisors knew it and gave him everything, paid all his retirement, gave him everything, all kinds of benefits. After the guy had been fired from lying and cheating down in Thousand Oaks. So why should we complain about the feds? We got it going on right here in our little old Marysville, Yuba City, Yuba Sutter counties. A recent U.S. Senate Committee on Homeland Security, da 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 they live, these people live far away from where their job responsibilities are, so taxpayers spend big bucks on the airfare, hotels, and luxurious apartments. The IRS spent $1.4 million on 27 employees who traveled 125 business days or more in 2015. Why don't you just stop that? Say, if you want to work for us, move over here. And, and then when we decide to move you somewhere else, you can move there or quit. Uh, how about this? Public housing, untold amount of wasted on housing fugitives in public housing. There's a law against that, I guess. Public housing authorities refuse to evict evict 1,300 felony fugitives, <coughs> including rapists, murderers. It's unclear how much taxpayers spent on housing fugitives, the Department of Housing and Urban Development. That's Ben Carson's HUD group now, right? We'll see if Ben can do something about that. But the liberals, they just fight, fight, fight. Maybe Ben's wearing some Make America Great socks. That's, it would be illegal for him. Ben could lose his job over a pair of socks. Hillary Clinton don't, doesn't lose her job, doesn't go to prison. Poor old, what's his name, Wiener? Wiener went to did a little prison from sending pictures of his junk around. That got him in a jam. Anthony Wiener, remember him? Uh, in fact, if he runs with uh, Eric Holder for president, although I haven't seen it, then we got Wiener Holder, <clears throat> the combination of Wiener Holder. So then we got $27 billion in 2016 spent on global warming. The non, it's just total nonsense. 27. You wonder where all your money is and you wonder how come you're not getting any benefits. <coughs> That's why. Federal agencies. In 2017, that was the first year, right at the beginning of the Trump administration, they were planning on spending $27 billion, And Trump talked about cutting that back. Thank you, Jesus. I hope he did. I hope he did. So it's just something to think about. Now, here's here's the other things that just go on. You know, this there's a Minnesota uh, congresswoman, a Democrat, Ilan Omar, who's always making these statements how she hopes Jews all die. She's a nutcase, right? She's a Muslim. And so you would think, I mean, I would try to obey the laws. I always tried to obey the law. When I was on the school board, I tried to do 
every time they said, Lou, you can't do that because of this. You can't do that because of that. So I'd say, okay, no problem. Or fill this form out, do this, do that, do the other thing. So everybody knows you're on the up and up and you're ethical and you're not cheating. And neither are we over here at the Department of Education at Yuba County. So I've, I've always filed my own tax returns. I took accounting in college for a couple of years and thought, oh, I got this. I'm going to do my own taxes. But even before that, I think I had figured out that if you're single, you file single. If you're married, you file married. But you can't just pick up a person and, and file married if you're not married to them. But here we have a woman, Elon Omar, and from Minnesota, who divorce, was divorcing her husband. And I was hanging, you know, having sex with another guy. People can't even wait to get out of one relationship before they're banging somebody else. So she's with another guy. So she ends up filing a couple tax returns as married to this new guy. And she's not married to him. And these people just come in here thinking, and I, I say this to some of my Mexican folks over, I run into jail. I said, hey, you come up here, you, you come here illegally, why don't you at least obey the law here? Don't drive and drink, right? I'm not saying Mexicans are the only ones that do that. White folks that are born here in America do that. But I'm just saying, you come here and you just think, oh, I don't need insurance. I don't need no stinking license. I can drink and drive. If I hit somebody, I'll just get out of the car and walk away from it. It's just like, hey, we don't do that the way here. So Omar, she just blows off. She just files illegal tax returns. No big deal. She just doesn't think any big deal about it, right? So we have all kinds of people. So she didn't, Zinc had to resign over a pair of socks. But Omar, she just keeps, she paid a little fine and filed her taxes correctly. Do you remember when Tim Geithner, do you remember Tim, Timmy Geithner? He was a part of the Federal Reserve and Obama hired him to be the Secretary of the Treasury. Um, and so when, when they began to vet him, they realized he hadn't fi filed his taxes appropriately. Now, is that amazing to you that a guy that's been working for our federal treasury department can't do his own taxes? And then when they did his taxes correctly, he owed 30-some thousand dollars. So instead of like saying, bad on you. Uh, you're not going to be able to serve because we can't count on you to even do your tax return. Well, when they looked through the Obama administration cabinet, a whole bunch of those people, the Secretary of Labor, the Secretary of Commerce, none of those people did their taxes. They didn't pay their taxes. In fact, a lot of the deep state people who work for the IRS don't even do their taxes. Right? Did you know that? Did, can you imagine working for a company? And uh, working for the IRS, and you don't even do your taxes. You don't even pay your tax. It's just unbelievable. Now, I ran into this article the other day. I think I can jam this in before this next break. And I, I got a kick out of it. So it says, face facts, America. Donald Trump is a success. Let's count the ways. Now, it, you should have figured this out by now, what, whatever flavor you are. It has nothing to do with what Trump does or doesn't do. Uh, they're going to say anything 
lie, cheat, steal, uh, throw them in a dumpster and fill it with concrete, throw it in the river. They'll do whatever they can. But this one, I got a kick out of this. Uh, the, the writer, a guy named Gary Varvel, the Indy Star, uh, he wrote this art, opinion piece for the Indy Star. And I don't know whether he's a regular writer or whether he's just uh, a guy that wrote this article and submitted it. So, uh, so it says, according to Media Research Center, coverage of Trump on ABC, CBS, NBC, N- NBC Evening News in September, October, November was more than 90% negative. I'd say they don't like the guy, right? Because if you look at just what's good for America... It's amazing what's going on. Granted, he said, the president is partially at fault for the lack of positive coverage. At times, he has stepped all over his message. I'm not going to even get into that. But Trumpsters aren't the only ones who've noticed how the media treat Trump. Surprisingly, 93-year-old former President Jimmy Carter said, I think the media has been harder on Trump than any other president, certainly, that I've ever known about. Go Jimmy. Uh... So anyway, they he he quotes a number of people saying, "Yep, the I don't think there's any question the press is biased." So I'm gonna leave that right. So he he quotes some things. He says, "Besides defeating ISIS, what are Trump's wins this year? Tax cuts. Congress has passed a tax overhaul, and uh, it'll cut the corporate tax rate to 21 percent, and has excited business owners and fueled stock market explosion." Businesses are moving back to the country, right? That's what's happening. That's a fact. Economic growth. The gross domestic product has grown by more than 3% for two quarters in a row. That's since he took over. Consumer confidence. In October, consumer confidence rose to its highest level in 17 years. That's back past Obama, back to Bush. Let me see when this article is written. I didn't... Okay, so this article was written in two. The December 2017. So it's a little over a year old. But look what just happened in just one year with Trump. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, judicial appointments. Trump has staffed the judiciary with constitutionalists such as Supreme Court Neil Gorsuch. People say, oh, I hate it. You know, you can, they're, they're conservatives. I, you know, to me, liberal or conservative, if a person is a constitutionalist, I'm interested in them, right? Because we're supposed to be ruled by the Constitution. Unemployment. This is just in the first year. Trump inherited uh, low unemployment numbers. In other words, under Obama, they were getting better towards the end. You remember? But the number of people collecting unemployment benefits has continued to fall to a near 44-year low. Now, I don't know how old you are, but think back to the president 44 years ago. Let's see. Who was that? 44 years. Was that Ronald Reagan? Maybe. And then uh, trade. You know, it's interesting to me. Trump worked out, he says back in 2017, December, Trump worked out a trade deal with China, Vietnam, and South Korea. I'm telling you, people say, oh, Trump has started a trade war with China. No, we, we surrendered way before Trump to China, and, and we allowed them to just dump their products over here. You think, I love their products, they're really cheap. Okay, fine. But when we went to sell our products over there, they added these fantastic tariffs. They're called tariffs. It's a penalty 
to sell products over there. And Trump just said, that isn't going to work. <clears throat> if you want access to our country, we get access to your country. Now, most people aren't smart enough in economically to know that uh, how that works. But China has been stealing, when, when uh, Trump says that China has been stealing $500 billion a year and, and remaking their whole country because of us. That's because they've been charging us tariffs and they've been getting in here free. That's not fair. So uh, I, I was just watching somebody. I forget where it was. They were talking about all the presidents, uh, liberal and conservative, who, who in their campaign were moving the embassy to Jerusalem, which is to recognize Israel's right to be there. And who, who did it? And did it cheaply? Donald Trump, right? U.S. Energy. This is just the first year of Trump's uh, presidency. Keystone, XL, and Dakota pipelines began construction, create 42,000 jobs. Trump turned around the coal industry. Remember, Obama said, we're not going to do any more coal. I don't care how, how clean it is. Because it's dirty, bad, nasty. God created it. Well, Obama didn't believe that. He, he's a Muslim. God created the coal, but dirty, bad, nasty. Climate change. Trump announced in June that he plans to withdraw from the Paris climate change. He did that. And all the other climate change nonsense. Here's the other thing I love. Trump keeps, and Betsy DeVos the head of the Department of Education. Remember, before President Carter in the 1970s, we had no Department of Education at the federal level, and our education was actually better. So they're talking now at the federal level about withdrawing from being involved in education at the state level. I think that's a great idea. In fact, I think the state ought to get out of education as well and just leave it to the local communities. I think education would thrive and get the unions out of education as well. The teachers' unions say so you can teach here whether you're in union or not, but we're not gonna we're not gonna be run by the teachers' union. Our education would revolutionize our education. So Trump has given the green light to school choice programs across the country. They're also overhauling Obamacare, right? On and on and on. So there's a lot of good things going on. I hope you know they would have gotten a lot more done. Uh, except for the fact that uh, the deep state, you know, the left B.I., we used to call them the FBI, I call them the left B.I., because I used to like have great respect for the left B.I. and for the IRS. I figured, hey, you know, hope I hadn't never have to no hope I'm never in trouble and have to use them right where I the IRS was coming after me or the FBI is coming after me. That would be bad news. But I always felt they were honest, they were, they were enforcing, enforcing the law, and they were upholding America. I do not believe that at all anymore. I don't, I don't, think, I don't know whether I'll ever believe that again, even if it would take a lot of evidence of reform. We have too many people that are liars. Mueller, Comey, McCabe, Page, Strzok, or. On and on and on, just rotten apple after rotten apple after. You think at first they said, "Oh, there's just a couple bad eggs," and the basic FBI guys are really a guy and gal, really quality people. I don't know. I do not know. IRS, same, same. 
I have, I have it just, uh, we got big problems in this country. If you, if you got your head in the sand, uh, you're going to be in deep doo-doo if you don't get straightened out here and, and start to make a difference and, and stand up for what's right because you're not going to be able to get away with this. Uh, well, I want to uh, also mention Ted Holmes with uh, the plumbing doctor. They used to have these these uh, these vans that looked like an ambulance. Now they've kind of changed, and, and they have a little more sleek-looking van, but the plumbing doctor will fix you up. You can call them up at 530-671-9111, like 911, but 9111, three ones, 671 You can call them the night or day. They will run over there and get your water flowing in the right direction. If it's coming at you and it should be going away or going away and it should be coming at you, they can make it all work right, or maybe it's just like doing something weird. They will fix your plumbing. Even if it goes right out in the street, they'll go out and hook it up, rehook it up. They will make it right. They they do this kind of deal where, you know, some plumbers say, well, they'll just start working on it, start billing you. But uh, the fact is, the way it's working now is they just give you a menu and they just say, this is what it's going to cost. And bang, that's it, that's your fixed price. And they said, this is what it's going to cost to pull that off. So, you know, going in what you're up to. So uh, you can call them up, and uh, anywhere you are, 530-671-9111. Everybody needs a plumber sometimes. I'm always working on my plumbing in this old house. you got to keep the pipes tuned up, or they start to back up on you. Well, we're going to come to our, uh, I think it's our last break. And uh, so we, uh, let's see where we are here. All right, I'll play you some fun stuff here, and then we'll have our last segment, our sixth segment. So enjoy yourself and give me a couple minutes to, like, hose down my throat, and I'll be right back. Say they don't say wait, they say wait up, hey wait up. Because when you're little, your life is up, the future is up, everything you want is up. Wait up, hold up, shut up. <laughs> Mom, I'll clean up. Let me stay up. <laughs> Parents, of course, are just the opposite. Everything is down. Just calm down. <laughs> Slow down. Come down here. Sit down. Put that down. But I love to travel, I love it whether it's a car or it's a plane, I like to get out there, I like to keep it moving. I love airports, feel safe in airports, thanks to the high caliber individuals we have working at X-ray security. <laughs> How about this crack squad of savvy, motivated personnel? <laughs> the way you want to set up your airport security is you want the short, heavyset woman at the front with the skin tie uniform. <laughs> That's your first line of defense. 
You want those pants so tight, the flap in front of the zipper has pulled itself open. You can see the metal tangs hanging on for dear life. Then you put the bag on the conveyor belt, goes to the little luggage car wash. Then you have that other genius down at the other end looking in the little x-ray TV screen. This Einstein has chosen to stand in front of x-rays 14 hours a day as his profession. Looking in that thing. I, I have looked in that TV screen. I cannot make out one object. He's standing there. What is that, a hair dryer with a scope on it? That looks okay. Keep it moving. Some sort of bowling ball candle. Yeah, I got no problem with that. Just, you know, we don't want to hold up the line. segment for today and um, again I want to wish all those that uh, are dads out there happy Father's Day and hope you have an enjoyable time and people uh, are kind to you today I want to also um, just restate the fact that if you want to get a hold of me you can get a hold of me by email at lou at dot com lou at nohostagesradio.com that's l-o-u or you could text me at 530-713-1838 so some of those folks out there and that are listening that are refugees from california that have gone to idaho uh texas missouri various places once in a while they'll give me a shout out and they'll give me an idea of what i'm missing or what they're getting, uh, enjoying out there. The freedoms of packing a weapon without all the rules around here, or gas that's a dollar, dollar and a half cheaper, or utilities, all the utilities costing $80, $85. Some of you this month in June, if this gets gnar- any more gnarly for the next two weeks, you're going to have a few hundred dollar power bill. So you guys can uh, give me a shout out. And so if you want to pass the word along about this uh, podcast, we'll keep on growing a little bit, see how that's going. So it makes it worthwhile to do this talking each week. But I, uh, at the beginning of the show, uh, to lead into the show, you heard a guy named Terrence who was talking about 7,500 people walking towards the border. And you just think, when it all started, did you just kind of think like, you know, there's been people coming in the United States forever, right? Because there's not a fence down there to block them. And uh, and so we give all these rights and due process to people who get caught here as if they're citizens. It's crazy. We need to change the law. Every country I go to, in fact, I'll be over in Vietnam here pretty soon, you do not have that. I don't even have a problem with it. They just say, hey, this is the way it is here. Either do, do it our way while you're here or you just leave. It's okay. Either way, it's okay with us. And um, so I was thinking, how do these, how do these groups, it happened, started under Obama, you remember this? And all of a sudden there are these train loads of people riding on tops of trains, and on inside and on the tops, and on tops of trucks. 
thousands of them are coming. Or all these kids come. How did that happen? They just get up one morning, have their tortilla and beans, and said, I'm heading, I'm heading north, right? Or was it all orchestrated and planned? And so what Terrence said in the beginning was this has all been coordinated and planned by people even in this country and other countries that want to have a global community, global uh, control over everybody, where the United States doesn't even have a government over its own people. They want a global government, right? So uh, all of a sudden there's this article this last week. And because there's thousands of people and they didn't seem like they were downtrodden, they're shouting and singing and like, man, these people must have been getting a lift somewhere, hitchhiking and getting a lot of lifts and getting food. And so it says Mexico claims that some migrant caravan funding came from the U.S. and England. So the Mexico is actually discovering what's going on. Mexican tax officials froze the assets of 26 individuals and entities they allege are tied to human smuggling organizations or to promoting Central American migrant caravans. The caravans move thousands of individuals from the Northern Triangle through Mexico. Now, it's interesting, too. The closest spot to get into the United States is Texas from this triangle. But they take the long way over to California because it's a softer border. Why? Because if you break through there, California will take it. It's a sanctuary state. Texas is not. They'll be kicking your rear over in Texas. You go over there and violate the law. California, they bend over and let you let you poke their rear. Caravans move thousands of individuals from the North Triangle through Mexico to the U.S. border. They should say to the California border. The funding for the migrant caravans comes from the U.S., England, Africa, and Central America. Now, when, now, those people like in Africa and Central America, they don't necessarily have a lot of money. It's coming from George Soros-type groups. So uh, Mexican authorities followed the path of the caravans and the financial operations from uh, to these various, from Querétaro to the border cities of Tijuana, Nogales, Ciudad Juarez, Ciudad Acuna, uh, a number of cities. Based on that information, Mexican authorities were able to trace the source of funds to the U.S., England, Cameroon, Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala, according to the report. Let's see. Uh, so they froze their accounts. And you say, oh, why are they doing that now? Because they're meeting with President Trump because they, Trump said, if you don't do something down there about this, it's happening in your own country, then we're, we're going we're gonna to add tariffs or we're going to their taxes, right? So if an item's worth a dollar and you add 20 percent on that, the dollar 20, right, that affects, that affects their entire economy. And so... Um, you think, oh, that's bad, nasty. Let, let, let's put it the other way. What if some, something was going on in the United States, criminal stuff, and we were going, people from the United States were going in and doing damage in Mexico? Do you think it would be fair for the Mexicans to, to take out some kind of 
uh, consequential action on the United States? I think it would be. You know, we just can't ignore that, right? Here's another thing. We we got about 13 minutes left, but here's, here's some short stuff I'll give you today. You know, you know what kind of politicians you have when when there's options to stand up uh, about issues and they don't. They just they just keep quiet about them. I don't know what needles needles California. I always when I think of needles California, I think of hot. I think it's like on the way to Las Vegas or something. But the Needles City Council. Uh, this last Tuesday, I don't know how they decided it, but they were going to discuss declaring the city of Needles a Second Amendment sanctuary city. So now when you think of sanctuary city, you normally think of taking illegal, which are the very fact that they're illegal aliens means that they broke the law to begin with. But many of them have broken multiple laws. And and so we have many cities in the United States and California that are now sanctuary cities that will not turn these people over to the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, normally called ICE. So in Needles, they they feel so strongly about the Second Amendment, which if you're new to the amendments, that's protecting your rights to possess weapons. The weapons weren't necessarily intended to be used to shoot a deer. they were they were initially intended to protect you in case you needed to take down take go down to city hall and take over that's what it was all about so members of the city council are planning to discuss declaring city of needles a second amendment sanctuary city now i wonder why we can't get that done in marisville or yuba city or sutter county or yuba county and just call ourselves a second amendment sanctuary county or a Second Amendment sanctuary city. Uh, According to the agenda item pack uh, released, uh, it says California has strict gun laws in comparison with neighboring states. Gun laws are set by California legislature. The federal constitution provides protections for citizens to keep and bear arms. Arizona residents will not come here come here to California because of gun laws and business opportunities are being missed. Needles city council member, I guess Needles is near Arizona, uh, according to uh, city council member Timothy Terrell. Terrell's request is to declare city of Needles a second amendment sanctuary city and to consider any of the following. To request that the sheriff not enforce weapons violations by California, Nevada, or Arizona residents. So they're over there. Needles is over there next to Nevada and Arizona that has liberal gun laws, and they want to be able to let people come over to Needles and pack their weapons and not be in trouble. And Terrell's next thing, uh, next option would be to request that the legislature allow an exemption to California gun laws for the city of Needles and within 65-mile radius of Needles. Finally, to request that the legislature allow reciprocity of concealed weapons permits with Nevada and Arizona. In other words, if you can get a permit over, you already have a permit in Nevada, Arizona, then you're graciously granted one in Needles, California. You can pack in Needles without one, right? That sounds great to me. The physical impact, uh, physical means F-I-S-C-A-L. That means the financial impact would be for the cost of research and ordinance 
And uh, hold on, I lost my screen here for a second. Uh, would be for the research and ordinance preparation and members of the Needle City Council will be asked to provide direction, etc. So they're thinking that it's having a negative business impact on the city of Needles. But whether or not it is or not, I think that every city, <clears throat> again, you know, it's, it's like, is, are, are we conservative in our rhetoric, but liberal in our actions? That's what it looks like to me in Yuba Sutter counties, whether it's a city or the county. We're liberal in our actions, conservative in our talk, whether it comes to guns, whether it becomes working, working with ICE, whether, whether uh, we, we have a, a view that the citizens' money is better off used in their own pocket than in the pocket of the government. You know, every indicator that's ever any research that's ever done at any level of government is that most of the money given to government is a total waste of money. We're talking that the majority of the money is wasted. It's, it's shocking. It's just shocking. And so we have these supposed conservatives who have an R by their name <clears throat> when they vote. <clears throat> but the fact is, they act like liberals, the way they behave. They act like liberals. Uh, let's see where we are here and see. I've got about just a several more minutes. There's, I had an article. I was, I was, I was going to talk about it, and I was going to skip over it because we did this Al Gore clip, but there's a great article talking about Al Gore's foolishness and... Uh, Let's see if I can find it really quick, if we don't run out of time here. Here we go. It says, why does Al Gore keep denying science? So this past Wednesday, Gore spoke to graduating seniors at Harvard University. A summary of his talk was, there's an assault on science that threatens the capacity of the human species to endure. Honestly, this guy's so full of crap. Mr. Gore proceeded to warm warned both students and faculty, uh, stressing that reason and rational debate were under threat from what he called ideology authoritarianism. That's true, but it's, it's, it's just the opposite. It's the colleges that are authoritarians, and they've eliminated rational debate against anybody that opposes their political correct think. He says, science is now being slandered as a conspiracy based on a hoax. It is. It is a conspiracy based on a hoax because they paid off all these scientists. They're on the payroll. Of course, they're going to say they love you. So this author says, this is the gore or the man who warned that polar bears would become extinct in just a handful of years because of their loss of habitat. He said, the fact is, polar bear numbers are now at an all-time high. This is the man who told us uh, that sea levels could rise as much as 20 feet in the near future, when in fact current data shows that for decades the pace has been around 3 millimeters per year. That's about the height of two dimes. This is the same guy who prophesied the rise of CO2, carbon dioxide, levels would devastate the planet, cause untold human suffering, when in reality, 
The modest rise in CO2 we actually have experienced has resulted in a global greening that has relieved human poverty around the world. That means we're able to grow stuff in places before that we couldn't. This is a man who predicted devastation of low-lying Pacific Island nations such as Tuvalu because of the rising sea levels when, in fact, Tuvalu and some other island nations have actually grown in landmass since Mr. Gore's doom and gloom pronouncement. Al Gore is a man who has not only ignored scientific facts above, but is aligned with the party that is now has a temerity to deny the biological fact of a female and thereby pretend that any male can become a female just because he feels like it. This is the same guy, Mr. Science Gore, who for decades has turned a blind eye to the CDC data. That's uh, Center for Disease Control on sexually transmitted disease and who promotes a political agenda that has resulted in over 25% of our nation's millennial-aged women now carrying an STD. By the way, with the new thought that there may be a cure to HIV, people are quitting using condoms, and we're having a million new cases of STDs a day worldwide. Gore is the same guy who pretends to be pro-woman while denying the fact that women are real and not merely the imagination of dysphoric men who want to pretend and play make-believe. This is a man who apparently doesn't understand that it's logically and scientifically impossible to be a feminist if you persist in denying the empirical fact of the feminine. Al Gore is the man who ignores the most basic of physiological and ontological facts that a human heartbeat is perhaps the best evidence of existence of a human being and that any person, no matter how small or inconvenient, should be afforded the minimal human right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mr. Gore, his pseudoscience, doesn't stop with the, his ignorance of climatology, physiology, sexuality, and biology. He demonstrates his ignorance in matters of economics as well. By ignoring the empirical proof that socialism has never, ever, ever resulted in anything other than the loss of human freedom and humans f flourishing, he seems oblivious to the fact <coughs> that if there was ever a political and economic model that smacks of ideologically authoritarianism, of which he's really concerned about supposedly, it is his own view. In testimony before Congress this past year, Judith Curry, former chairman of the School of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences at the George, Georgia Institute of Technology, said that Mr. Gore's political agenda said uh, this. He's, she's describing Gore's political agenda and his blind follower. She said, this behavior risks destroying science reputation for honesty. It is this objectivity and honesty which gives a science a privileged seat at the table. Without this objectivity and honesty, scientists become regarded as another lobbyist group, or I would consider a crackpot group, which what they are, these, these global warming nutcases. Miss Curry's comments is on spot on. Science dies at the hands of its supposed champions when they prove themselves more interested in political power than telling the truth. If Aesop taught us anything, it is this. Crying wolf over and over again always proves one simple fact in the end. 
Truth is being slandered as a conspiracy based on a hoax. So uh, there you have it. So that brings the end of our show today. We have adjusted the time on this show uh, a little shorter. We thought we were running a little long. So we're going to see how that goes. So uh, you think, oh, it went quicker today. But uh, we're, just, we're just experimenting. We're using the ready, fire, aim approach to adjusting as we think, oh, th- maybe this isn't so good. Maybe this is better. So we're tweaking things a little bit to see if we can uh, get it to where we like it and feel better about it. And uh, maybe people will uh, benefit by it more. So uh, we'll give you a shout out in another week on Saturdays. We show, put these up on Saturdays. So every Saturday, usually it's triggered to come on in the morning uh, on that website or out on your uh, no hostages, uh, no, no, ra- no hostages radio.com or uh, at your favorite uh, podcast source. Okay. So thanks for listening. And uh, if you run into somebody you don't know out there, treat them right because it may be an angel unaware according to the Bible. So we'll catch you later. Chosen to join us here in the Palace Hotel Ballroom at this time. We certainly hope you all enjoy the show. And remember, people, that no matter who you are and what you do to live, thrive, and survive, there's still some things that make us all the same. You, me, them. Sugar to kiss